Okay, good morning, everybody. It looks like we are live. Welcome yeah. to this week's virtual plant clinic. My name is Bill Lester. I'm with University of Florida IFAS Extension Service in Fernando County. And I'm here again. This is a couple weeks in a row, I think, with That's just right, me yes. and my regular co-host, Lily Browning, who is our Fernando County Florida Friendly Landscape Coordinator. Mm -hmm. So good morning, Lily. Oh my God, my phone is dinging. My email is going to be dinging. I'm getting emails from a lady who wants to know what she can do to get rid of clover. And her initial email was, what chemicals or herbicide would you recommend as a clover killer? And that's not enough information. And I where is she that she has clover? Well, I said it all depends. Is this a lawn? Is it a pasture? Because that's going to be very, very different. Uh, do you have a behavior? Yes. Pardon me? Um, I thought you, you went, uh, your voice went away. Um, I would assume she has oxalis and not clover, most likely, unless she's way, way, way up there by Buddy or even somewhere further north. I'm not even sure where she's from. I haven't had a chance to ask that yet. Right. I should have sent you a picture. Maybe I'll still try to email it to you. I took of my lawn this morning because I wanted to show you how good it looks. And I've done absolutely nothing, nothing to it whatsoever. Last year, I threw a down some bahia grass seed, overseeded, and some black cow haven't done it this year because it doesn't look like it needs it and it's doing fine and it you know has probably every weed you can imagine in it <laughs> but it's what we call our freedom lawns mm -hmm. and you mow and uh just go on your way so i'll try to send you that picture um the other thing i was showing was that the, the lot we bought next to us my husband cleared like the, the front of it and it's full of grass that we did not put there at all. <laughs> and you'll see how good, at least if imagine if you were going by 30 miles an hour. Yeah. How good it all looks. And, you know, that's with no inputs, you know, no um, extra water, no fertilizer, except last year, no anything. And I don't mind weeds my lawn is the exact same and when we get to this time of year where it really heats up and we start getting regular rain the bahia component just goes nuts it does so i can look and a good part of my lawn looks like it's pretty solid bahia mm -hmm. but i do have fog fruit and mm -hmm. um a, a whole bunch of other weeds mixed in with it and doesn't bother me one bit the neighborhood rabbits like it i see them out sure. there at night sometimes more than one mm -hmm. I and, have, yeah. and that's it i have well i'm always happy to see those seed heads because i think wow look i do have some bahia still in there um there's various crabgrass lots of frog fruit um florida pusley um, mm -hmm. um portulaca <laughs> You know, and the rabbits like all of it. So, and I, I have emailed you a picture. And what kind of grass filled in 
in that lot, you know, that we cleared just the front half of, I have no idea what it is. But it's, there's another real low growing grass that is filled in in my backyard, you know, natural area. I love it. It should be a turf grass. I'm not even sure. It might be a Bermuda variety of weed or something, but it's real low growing. It looks fantastic. <laughs> it turns brown in the winter, but, you know, and there are some bare spots. If you, if you walk around in my lawn, you'll see, but you and I are not, um, you know, lawn purists or people that must have the perfect lawn. Nor do either of us live in a gated community that demands that. So, Well, what's important, and I ask this a lot of times when people ask me a question about something. And before we start going too deep into it, I ask them, what's your goal? Is your goal, I live in an HOA and it has to be a perfect looking St. Augustine lawn or as close to it as I can get? Is it I have a freedom lawn, I just want some green stuff to cover the dirt? Mm -hmm. uh, it all depends on what your end goal is because, you know, we can help you get there. But if I don't know where you're trying to go, you don't know which direction to take. And I'm not sure what direction to point you in. So it really um, helps us before we start giving you any practical advice to know what your goal is. That is the same thing with any kind of pest control for people. Let's say you have a hibiscus and let's say you have some scales or mealybugs on it. What's your goal? Right. Uh, my goal is I want to get pretty flowers on my hibiscus. Yeah, that's fine. That's why you grow a hibiscus. Mm -hmm. you know, we need to get the number of scales or mealybugs, whatever the problem is, down low enough where it's not interfering with your plant's growth and flowering and everything else is going to do what you want it to do. Some people think must kill everything on property for mm -hmm. anything to grow and look good. And that you cannot sanitize the great outdoors, guys. In my mealybug situation, remember I explained to you, I noticed I had mealybugs all mm -hmm. over my beach sunflower and um, the salvias because they love salvias and my solution to it at the time was I severely trimmed especially the beach sunflower that was severely affected I didn't pull it out I just trimmed it you know took a whole bunch of affected material even the salvia shoved it in a plastic trash bag and put it in you know my household trash so I did I got I gave it a good haircut to get rid of a lot of the infected material and found one stray little ladybug that I put back <laughs> in the bed there. So my assumption was, you know, between getting rid of a lot of the infestation physically, this is mechanical control that we're looking at here <laughs> physically, and then making sure that, you know, I did notice the presence of beneficial insects. So I wasn't too worried about leaving a few of the mealybug there and as for now things look pretty good so i have not yet had to graduate i hope i don't have to to some kind of uh, you know even a horticultural soap or anything so yeah. and the, the heavy heavy rains i think helped because it you know knocked them off of the plants too so that's usually my answer to many many things 90 percent of the time my answer to any kind of 
uh, problem area on a plant is cut it off and throw it away. <laughs> yeah, if your problem is small, if it's just on one branch and you could trim it off and get rid of it, that's fine. That doesn't work with everything. You might have a lot, you know, maybe affecting much more of your plant. That's mm-hmm. why it's important to go out there and scout and keep on top of problems before your hibiscus is completely covered with spider mites. Because when it's completely covered, it's a lot harder to deal with and fix. So catching things early and taking early steps helps a lot. I put it on Facebook to kind of show what I did and that kind of opened up invitation for other people to say, you know, some of their suggestions and one of them was coffee grounds, and I'm like, it's not a bad idea. I mean, I won't hurt anything. I can try. I mean, it that flower bed is four feet away from where the coffee grounds <laughs> end up. So, you know, I can throw some of those on there. Certainly won't hurt. Somebody else mentioned apple cider vinegar. I don't see putting vinegar on any plant as a great idea. I don't know what you feel about it. A lot of people advocate using it for a weed killer and it will kill plants and weeds generally if they're very, very small and very tender. Right. Well, see, I don't see how you were saying for the mealybugs and I'm like, no, I don't want to kill my (laughs) plants. Yeah. A lot of people suggest for um, different insect pests rubbing alcohol. Uh That's really, really tough on the surface of plants as is vinegar. So the same people that recommend using a vinegar solution as a weed killer are now suggesting to spray it on your hibiscus or whatever it might be to kill aphids. And that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, really. See, Corey likes vinegar on his chips. (laughs) Vinegar is good on chips. (laughs) And it may work if you have um, like some grassy weeds popping up between cracks on a sidewalk, you know, something like that, if they're small, like you said. Um, yeah, somebody mentioned baking soda, salt, peppermint, so on. What do you feel? I don't know if salt would be a great idea to put on plants either. If to treat insects, if you're trying to treat weeds, possibly, but I don't want to hurt the plants in the process. So a lot of those things just don't work very well. And none of them are labeled as uh, insecticide or herbicide or fungicide. A lot of them can damage plants. And so, you know, Dawn asks about what about using natural things? Mm-hmm. There are a lot of new products coming out on the market. You have to look for them because they're not necessarily in big displays at your big box store. Yeah. You know, they still have huge displays of seven liquid seven and powder seven and granule seven and you know all kinds of seven um so they're a little bit harder to find there are things like different insect growth regulators which just um target specific insects and stop them from completing their life cycle and the population will crash things like insecticidal soap bt spinosad those are all much more natural products that you can use that are labeled to be used as a pesticide or fungicide or herbicide, and they're going to be effective. And, you know, if you need to follow the directions, you need to take, you know, safety precautions, 
but we definitely recommend those kind of things. And there are a lot on the market. Um, I think we have a couple classes coming up, don't we? Yes, I was going to say. So, so nice into that. Um, August 24th and August 31st, um, I will be having a class called A Look at Natural Products for Pest Control. Part one on the 24th, I will have the assistance of Dr. Bill Lester. <laughs> he will be there with me and we'll discuss um, some of the things that you just talked about, some of those products. But I saw how intensive it would be, so I split it up into two. So you won't be around on the 31st. Um, so either I'll do it myself or I have asked another horticulturist um, to help me. Um, so we will see, but um, I'm basically using a University of Florida publication and breaking it down um, into a PowerPoint and a, you know, a discussion type format. So we can talk about, you know, you have to be careful, you know, things will promote themselves as natural and they maybe have natural ingredients, but that doesn't mean they're not a poison. You know, nicotine is natural. You know, arson is natural. Yeah, so, yeah arson is natural. It's in the soil. Right. So you do, you know, there's still precautions and you still have to use the right product for the right problem. And that starts with identifying the problem. And we're, we're going to cover all of that. So that's August 24th and 31st. So, and that's on my events on my Facebook page. I just added another event this morning for September 21st. This one will be really exciting for a lot of people um, who watch this particular virtual plant clinic. On September 21st, 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to have a class called Turf Talk with Bernie. <laughs> so, Yay, Bernie's yeah. coming back. <laughs> yes. Also on September 1st, for the same reason that you won't be able to help me on August 31st, Mm -hmm. September 1st, Virtual Plant Clinic is going to be Bernie and I as well. So yeah, for those of you Bernie and want to see more of him other than him tasting a dragon fruit, <laughs> I have worked him into my programming. So He liked that dragon fruit. That it was, was really good. Yeah, we weren't faking. That, that was, it was, you said it shouldn't be sweet, but it was pretty sweet. So. It depends and it, it varies. It depends on exactly how ripe it is and what variety it is. So there's, you know, variation in it, but I think they're very tasty. Mm -hmm. Here, let's get a picture of Lily's lawn real quick here that she sent me. I had to open it in a different um, browser here. There we go. There's well, the, the front there is kind of, you see the um, kind of some blank spaces, but you know, overall, in general, that's a lawn that we do nothing to but mow. And this area here, this is where that second lot that we purchased is. And my husband cleared like, you know, behind my house, there's still trees and stuff. But we cleared, he hand cleared, he spent the last year hand clearing this. Um, that's how he spent his retirement year, <laughs> his first year of retirement. See all that grass there, Bill? Yeah, I didn't put it there. This grass over here even looks better than <laughs> than <laughs> this. Um, 
he just mowed and this is where it was really thick. That's why you see some straw laying there. And so guess what this area is that was really thick? What, Bermuda? That's the drain field. <laughs> it's lots of oh, things. Okay, yeah, yeah. It always, yeah. it always is there. It does in my yard too. Yes. Um, here is, you can't, this isn't a close up, but this is where I was having the mealybug problems and it seems to be doing very well now that all I did was cut it all out. But this is what really impresses me. All we did was clear it and let it get sun. And that is some kind of quote, quote, grassy weed. Looks fine, you know, to me. Yeah, the seeds were in the soil. And then when you disturbed everything and pulled the trees and brush and whatever else was growing there up, the seeds were already there. And boom, they're the first things to come out. Yeah. And, take over. and it didn't, you know, I was glad that it didn't just pop up with broadleaf weeds that wouldn't look, you know, like a traditional lawn. Whatever it is, it's a grassy weed, it's fine. <laughs> you know. As long as it's green. Yes. Are you making tea? Somebody else is here, so. Oh. <laughs> well, it looks like Lee was making aphids. Yeah, Lee had lots of aphids on her southern peas. Aphids love southern peas. Southern peas are all, you know, black-eyed peas, uh -huh. crowd peas, white acre peas. There's a couple different ones that kind of fall under southern peas. They're the ones that you grow during summer. I grew them once before. Oh, my gosh. I've never seen so many aphids in my life as when I grew black-eyed peas. Hmm. I've still got a great crop. And I had ladybugs that showed up also, and they just had a feast. But... If you're if you're trying to attract aphids, if you're doing research and you need just ridiculous numbers of aphids, <laughs> black eyed peas, and you will get lots of aphids. And an interesting thing that you and I both mentioned, um, I mentioned I saw some ladybugs because I had these mealybugs. You mentioned, and you know she just mentioned she saw ladybugs around the aphids, and so did you. None of us brought these ladybugs in. We didn't send away anywhere, Meryl, Meryl order them. Have to buy a bag of them. They will come. That's yep. what nature does. They're in the environment, many, many different species of them. So that's why it helps do a little bit of reading and studying so that you're familiar with more than just the stereotype orange with a couple of black spots, ladybugs. There's a I'm lot more thinking, than just that. Yeah. Oh. What, 98 species? And whether that's in the country or in Florida, I'm not sure. I think it's 98 species in the country, 21 species in Florida of ladybugs, I believe. Lots of them, anyway. Yeah, because they make up an entire family, Coxinellidae, in the beetle order. I like the one that's normal size. And it's really, really black, and it has two bright red spots on the back. Its mm -hmm. common name is the twice stabbed lady beetle. Yes. That's Poor the thing. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> Some dark horticulturist named that. <laughs> I or entomologist. Entomologist. <laughs> so, guys, if you all have any questions, just go ahead and put them in the comments, and we'll do our best to answer them here. Um, you have this question, yeah. Yeah, so, let me, 
<laughs> Sorry, we're fighting over everything. <laughs> what, what did I do? Um, <laughs> isn't there a ladybug called Ladybird? They're all Ladybird beetles, mm -hmm. as far as I know. Common names are ladybugs or ladybird beetles, and that's technically more correct because they are beetles. And technically, they all fall under a whole family of beetles, uh, coccinellidae. Don't ask me to spell it. It's a long word. But we do have native Florida species of ladybugs, ladybird beetles, whatever term you want mm -hmm. to use, that don't really look like the stereotype large, round, orange or red with spots. There are the Florida native ones are pure black, or there's one that's black with just one red splash on it. The one that I discovered um, that was almost in my bag of trash <laughs> that I rescued from there um, and put back in the bed, it was just gray. So. It had a few spots on it, like orange spots. Let's go back up to a comment from Dawn. And she said, wouldn't it be great to have a community garden, fruit trees, edible plants, and flowers, especially one with nutritional and medical benefits? There are people who have such. Um, what about the ohm? Yes, we do have one in the area here in Spring Hill in Hernando County. That's at the um, Welcome Ohm, W-L-L-C-O-M-E-O-M Center. And they have a community garden and they do have some fruit trees there. They have a variety of edible plants, flowers. They have classes there. And community gardens are great. It takes a lot of organization, work. And commitment. And commitment, exactly. It doesn't just magically happen. I got a phone call from a gentleman who's putting together a um, church-based group, and he wanted to put together, I guess, the equivalent of a small farm to teach people job skills. Nice. Well, who are you going to pick to do all the learning? It's going to take a couple hundred hours of reading, watching videos, and learning just the basics. Then after that, it takes a lot of work to put it together and it takes consistent work to keep it going because i know with my garden if i abandon it for a couple of weeks do you know what i come back to weeds weeds and yeah. it's a map i come back to weeds and the plants are half eaten up with bugs because i didn't catch them early and they have mm. disease because oh, i didn't and then if you have fruit trees and various things and the project gets abandoned what do you come back to rats <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, and once a lot of times all the hard work is right up front, pulling it together and getting it set and put out. After that, consistent maintenance is really important because otherwise things will pretty quickly get away from you and turn into a big mess. Mm -hmm. I'm sure anybody watching here who has any kind of um, food forest or vegetable garden or anything going on in your yard can relate. That if you off for a few weeks, if you go to the beach for a month, when you come home, it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, I'm all for, you know, um, people who really want to get into a food forest or permaculture in their yard. But you have to 
you have to be really, really, really committed. And you have to be committed to staying there for a long time because it's entirely possible that the next person who purchases your home doesn't want to do all that, you know, and then it'll all get either or they'll decide, well, I don't want this place, you know, so I mean, it's great, but it's a commitment. And I don't, people tend to think it will be easy and I just don't see how it will, you know, I think there'll be maintenance, you know, a good part of the time. When I was growing up, I think my mother, well, probably almost everybody, you know, in her age group, um, you know, they had gardens, they had all, you know, so we had a semi food forest on, you know, less than a half an acre in a, uh, in, in the city, it really was in the city, but we had a pretty big yard, but she had a garden every year. We had raspberries, we had, uh, Concord grapes, you know, we had, um, cherry trees. I think she had an apple tree for a while. She got mad at it one day. It was gone, but you know, but it was kind of neat growing up in that atmosphere. But it is something you have to um, continue maintenance on. You do. You have to be realistic, and there's um, a good amount of learning that goes into it. Yes. It doesn't magically happen, and these things don't magically. You know, you're not going to put in an, a one-acre garden slash small farm and have it just magically grow stuff by itself. It's going to take a lot of effort on your part and other people's parts. And many of these different um, programs work really, really well. But you have people who are willing to and uh, interested in learning how to do it and how to do it better. And they're dedicated to come out there and spend the time actually making it happen. Mm -hmm. And the idea you see floating around Facebook, which I think, I don't know what you feel about it, but I all I see is I think it's impractical, but, you know, they talk about if if cities would just plant fruit trees, you know, as street trees everywhere. I see that picture also. I yeah. have spent time um, in my county career, the 23 years I've worked for Hernando County. I spent two and a half years working for the Department of Public Works. So I learned a lot about infrastructure. So my first thoughts are, who are you paying to maintain those? because that requires, you know, a specialized knowledge. And you can't just plant a tree and expect it to grow fruit. There's a whole lot of things that people who have orchards have to do to make that happen. So, you know, who is doing that? Again, I think of rats if the fruit just happens to fall all over the ground. Even liability issues if somebody, you know, up north, you see how slimy crab apples get when they're on the ground, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, any kind of fruit. So I see those practical issues. I'm not against anybody having any kind of um, edible landscapes. I'm not against that at all, but just realize there's work involved. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've seen those pictures before. And if people are expecting local government to do it, you know, if you really want your taxes to be increased for that, mm-hmm. that's probably what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. A lot of cost that goes into it, a lot of maintenance and infrastructure putting it in. Uh, there are really very few fruit trees that just magically take care of themselves with absolutely no pruning, 
pest control, disease control, anything else. Maybe in some big cities that have um, specialized horticulturalists, you know, who work in some of the parks like Central Park or some, you know, downtown, yeah. you know, but just in, you know, in uh, Spring Hill or Brooksville, <laughs> you know, I don't see that kind of thing happening. We don't have the resources to have the specialized, um, you know, uh, people to be able to, to spend all their time caring for that type of type of thing. Mm -hmm. Now, Lee says that she's involved in a church community garden that they started last year and it was very successful. They're doing solarization and laying cardboard down to cover the exposed soil to prevent weeds over the summer. That's great. And like I said, these things can work really, really well, but you need to have people who are going to be involved for much more than just the very first day. And they I have to take ownership of that. Yeah. I think it was church related community garden. And on the first day when everything got planted, 300 people showed up. There were county commissioners there. There were people with local government. Everybody showed up the first day. The next week, a handful of people showed up. And then after that, maybe three people showed up and it very, very quickly fell apart because there were not enough people who were going to commit long-term to actually keep the whole thing going. Right. And, and then you, are, you have, you have a, a volunteer group. So to make any kind of project um, successful, you have to have a certain, sometimes it's even one person, but a core group, small core group who is completely dedicated to that project. You know, Brittany, um, your Sea Grant agent, she has her volunteers who are, you know, they take on a project, they take ownership of that project. So that's the only way those type of situations are going to work out. Now you have questions about lemons and figs. Yes, I'm sitting here pulling up the fig publication. Let me see. If, oh, and we do have cultivars on here also so let me copy that i guess we don't have teresa watching today otherwise <laughs> you'd have those up there already. already be up <laughs> so we have a question from basam about what are the best big varieties that are going to do well in central florida and turkey brown, turkey brown fig is that let me go ahead and share a link to the University of Florida publication on figs. You can grow figs in Central Florida. Figs by the end of summer are always going to have fungal leaf spots. There's a fig rust that if you're growing figs, you will get fig rust. So you're going to probably want to spray with a fungicide. Starting around now, I guess we are, you know, halfway through maybe not calendar summer, but hot summer um what about nematodes Nemat yeah if you plant figs in the ground if you have a bad nematode problem like mostly root knot nematodes they are very 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 tough on figs they will kill your fig over a couple years the tree will just never never do really well and decline now something um, i heard um if you have a higher ph those nematodes don't like it there I've seen some figs growing in Hernando Beach, um, so they're quite happy because of that. 
high pH, so the nematodes aren't there. And I've heard a suggestion, we'll see what you think about it, that if you want a fig tree, plant it as close to your house, if your house is a typical cement block Florida home as possible because the leaching of the block will you know, raise the pH there. The same reason you do not want to have azaleas and gardenias and things right next to the house. Mm-hmm. Does that seem like a viable option to you? Yes, that sounds like a great idea. And there are a bunch of different varieties of figs that can be grown in Florida. Alma, Black Spanish, Brown Turkey, Celeste, Champagne. So there's a lot of different specific varieties to choose from. And the best thing to do is just experiment. Give it a try. You can grow figs in the ground or you can grow them in a really large container. They do make good container trees they don't get huge like an oak tree does they're they naturally stay fairly small and corey points out that there's a couple of figs that are nematode resistant i'm sure there are there's probably a couple varieties at this point that are at least nematode tolerant if not just resistant oh you had a question about lemons up there oh yeah Lorraine asks, will lemons always turn yellow to indicate when to harvest them? No. Where are you watching from, Lorraine? That's question number one. It depends on how successful your lemons will be in general. Well, I can tell you that with any kind of citrus, oranges, and this would include lemons, this would include grapefruits, I guess, also, but mostly with oranges, there's varieties and there's a lot of times where the oranges are perfectly ripe and they're ready to eat and they're not a beautiful, perfect orange. And you're thinking, well, don't they always turn beautiful grocery store orange naturally on the tree? No, a lot of times they pick them and they look pretty darn green and they put them in a big room and they degreen them. They use that with um, ethylene. They gas them with ethylene and it makes them turn more orange. But they just put a bunch of bananas around them. But <laughs> <laughs> well, when you go to a grocery store, every lemon on the in the produce department is this perfect, beautiful yellow. If you grow them on your own, they may be ripe and ready to eat and not completely yellow. They may be greenish on one side or not evenly perfect yellow. So you need to look at what variety of lemon you're growing and look up some information on it and find out when it flowers and when they ripen. And if you're in the time period when they naturally ripen, if you pick one and cut it open, you'll be able to tell if they're ripe and ready to go or not. She's in Brooksville. So playing with your lemon, unless it's a Myers lemon, which is really a sour orange, you, you might have some issues with it freezing. I have a Myers lemon. No, Myers lemons are fine, but I mean, lemon lemons tend to freeze up here. I need to fertilize mine. I just finally got around to getting a bag of citrus fertilizer this past weekend. Okay. And then when I get to it, I'm going to actually open the bag and fertilize it <laughs> in my free time. Uh-huh. So, okay. hey, guys. Anybody has any questions, go ahead and put them in the chat box. We can't go too late today 
because I still have to pack it up and head to the office today. I could not do this from my office because my work computer has a dead or damaged um, USB port. I think that's the correct terminology. Yes, I had that um, probably six, nine months ago. Had that issue, and, um, and then they ended up replacing my whole motherboard. Oh, well. With our computers, something really obvious, they can look at it, figure it out, and fix it. If it's something kind of tricky or intermittent, it's a little tougher to get it fixed. So, so we'll see how it works. The good thing is, when this happened, I was just getting ready to leave on vacation. So I'm like, okay, you have ten days, you know, to replace my motherboard because all I have for work is this one laptop. So. Uh, are you putting those publications on there or has Teresa snuck back in? I didn't put them on. Um, well, I didn't put them on. <laughs> so. Where do these publications go to? <laughs> right now, Monique, run out there right now. Stop what you're doing and run out there. <laughs> and don't do that any later than, uh, than when we're done with this. Uh, she's asking about... Okay, we're we're finding comments here. <laughs> we're talking to Monique. Okay. <laughs> you, you pick. You pick. I'll answer. Yeah. Okay. Um, she wants to know when to quit trimming her azaleas. Today. Today. Just assume it's today. Assume it's July fourteenth today. It's usually June thirtieth, so quit now. If you want blooms and you live in Brooksville and you can have beautiful azalea blooms, but don't trim them anymore. <laughs> so. Azaleas, if they're growing well and they're the large variety, always start with looking through them and removing any dead branches. Then look through and remove any crossing branches, branches that are really bad scraping against each other, take off one or the other, and then look at pruning the branches back. Azaleas generally don't require a whole lot of pruning. No. No. Mostly dead stuff. You'll you'll find in the large old azaleas that you see like in downtown Brooksville and older communities. Yeah, that's where about eight trees. You'll have a lot of really twiggy uh azaleas with a lot of dead stuff. They have a lot of the karoom azaleas, those mm. the pink ones there. And they grow pretty tall, but Okay, here, I could tell Cindy about the background photo here. Um, remove ourselves. Can you move yeah. us so you can see yeah, it better? Yeah, we'll remove ourselves. It turns our microphone also off also. So let's oh. go ahead and disappear for a moment. Give everybody a good look. Okay. Okay, that picture is from the um, demonstration gardens at Sumter County Extension Service. And the big batch of stuff in the foreground is their herb garden, which I took that picture during the summer. Oh, my gosh, I wish my herb garden looked that good. They had tons of parsley and chives. And the time, the plants were huge. I mean, I was, I almost was like looking around like, I wonder if I have a baggie and scissors. In my <laughs> you know? 
wonder if they'd yell at me if I took a no, little bit. Are they one of the offices that um, actually pays someone to keep those gardens looking nice? Or is that? No, some, some are it's all master gardeners. Okay. So, so then you have that core group of people who is dedicated solely to making that project work. And Lorraine says she grew garlic last fall, which is the right time of year. You have to grow garlic during the winter here. And the varieties did not form, I guess, the, the cloves of garlic. That could happen. You have to get the right varieties of garlic. In the world of garlic, you have soft neck garlic and hard neck garlic. And I believe it's hard neck garlic that grows in the south. There is also elephant garlic, if anybody's familiar with it. Elephant garlic, if you see it at the store and you buy it, it, it makes the really big cloves. That's why they call it elephant garlic. Elephant garlic grows well in Florida. It's a very mild garlic. So I need to I need I need to try growing elephant garlic next winter. I'm going to incorporate that in the garden. Give it a shot. You should be able to it's also it doesn't take a lot of room. Her clothes look like leaps with blunt ends. That's how garlic grows. Garlic gets, it looks, because it, it's in the same family. It's in the allium family, I believe, with onions. So it gets um, the same type of foliage or greenery as onions, but it's flat. It looks a little bit more like chives. So okay. onions. Idea. They're, all, they're all similar when they grow. Corey, um, for the soft neck, he stratifies it in his refrigerator for six weeks, and that causes it to bulb up more. Interesting. I've heard about that, and I guess it must be the soft neck garlic that does well in the south. Okay. Because if you get the wrong one, it's not going to grow well. Um, it does help to put it in the refrigerator because that tricks it into thinking that it's the dead of winter. And then when you plant it in your garden, it's going to grow for a while during the winter and then bulb up. It may be a, um, like the onions that grow well in Florida, when the days start to get longer, that signals it to bulb up. Hmm. Okay. And Lee agrees it's soft neck for the South. So yes, it's very important you get the right variety of garlic. Now, if you go to the grocery store and just get a little package of garlic, I have no idea if that's, you know, soft neck, hard neck. I have no idea what kind that is. Okay. Oh, there's a very interesting question. Okay, are we hitting this one or were you clicking a different one? No, I, my hands are right here. <laughs> Facebook user says, I've learned so much with these programs. We love hearing that. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. learn yes, more. Well, what you have to do is keep tuning in or follow us on Facebook or go to our YouTube channels, which we have multiple ones. And we have a lot of recorded programming at this point. How many videos do you have on YouTube? Um, 82 is being worked on this week. Oh, my Video God. 82. <laughs> um, 
um, we can't see your name. You only come up as Facebook user, but uh, what county are you in? That'll help us be able to answer how to become a master gardener. If you're in Hernando County, Dr. Lester can tell you how to do that. Let me put my email up. Just shoot me an email and we can send you some information. If you're in Hernando County or someplace close by, if you're in Duval County in Jacksonville, it will not work out well for you to be one of our master gardeners. She's in Hernando. She or he is, they are in Hernando. <laughs> okay. okay, okay. Now we got the basics down. Yes. Teresa must be watching today, throwing these yeah, out. Yeah. You have your magic answer lady in the background. Too bad you're at home because we were promised we were going to show her one of these days. I think she sabotaged your computer, so that would not be able to happen. That could that. be. Yeah, we need yeah. to get her on here as a guest. Yes, or at least to say hi, because she really is the magic behind everything. Okay. There was something you were gonna, oh you were going to tell how to become a master gardener in hernando county oh um send me an email we're still working out exactly how we're going to do the uh training and people joining up that's how it, it works in general is you do have to be trained and there are various ways your um, bill is really working on uh, online training and then you will be mentored You'll be a mentee with one of the current master gardeners. And once you have done all that to maintain your master gardener status, your Florida master gardener volunteer status, you do have to put in how many um, volunteer hours a year? Your first year is 75. And then after that is 50 hours a year to remain active. And if you really plug into one of our programs and get involved, you don't have to worry about those hours. You'll put in plenty of hours. Once you and get various, something. you have master gardeners who um, have edible gardens at um, Arc of the Nature Coast. You have those who work in this master gardener nursery um, that you're showing here. Mm -hmm. We have Bernie who answers phone calls and uh, people who, you know, come in and there's four other days of the week that, you know, people could volunteer to do that as well. Um, you have some who keep the atrium of the Hernando County Government Center looking beautiful with their interior scapes. Mm -hmm. What else do you have that they we do? Have gardeners yeah. to go out and teach classes and give presentations to local garden clubs and civic groups. Um, you help with school projects. Yes, we occasionally work with local public schools to do school projects so we have a lot of different activities and programs going on so it's very important that and i tell people you don't have to do everything but you do have to get involved in something and if you just want to say hey i just want the knowledge i don't want that volunteer commitment um <laughs> I have 82 classes yeah. on YouTube. You can just keep watching uh, our classes. You know, we yeah, don't teach them really anything. You have like 82 hours of training for free on YouTube. Yeah. 
fine. Right. Mm -hmm. You can start your 82-hour marathon as soon as we get done here today, guys. <laughs> and you can start with the first one and keep going. And they will never want to hear my voice again. <laughs> or mine. I'm on about half of my thing. Yes. So. Now, Sid is talking about um, a book at the Citrus Library System. Weed-free gardening, a comprehensive and organic approach to weed management. I might have to look that up before I do those classes um, on the 24th and the 31st. So. It all comes down to proper management, having a plan, knowing what you're doing. And what is the one thing that no weed has ever developed a resistance to? You physically pulling it out of the ground. <laughs> Your hands, that's right. <laughs> So you can use a combination. I have developed a resistance to weed pulling, but the weeds have not developed yeah. a resistance to me. So you can use mulches, you can use scuffle hoe, you can use um, um, trying to disturb the surface of the soil as little as possible, because every time you do, you bring up more weed seeds up to the surface to germinate. You can do that on purpose. So if you have a bed, and you want to make it as weed free as possible go ahead and turn it over and rake out and water it wait about a week for the weeds to come up go ahead and pull them up use a scuffle hoe do whatever to kill the weeds and then wait another week and do it again and do it again and do it again and if you keep doing that you're going to greatly reduce the number of weed seeds in that little plot that are going to come up and germinate so you always want to be reducing your bank account in the weed seed bank, not increasing your balance. Yeah, if, you blow off your garden, yeah. if you blow off your garden during the summer and you get weeds that all get waist high and they flower and the little seeds are all blowing in the breeze and falling off the weeds, you just shot your uh, weed seed account balance through the roof. Now you have even more seeds out there you're going to have to deal with when they sprout. I have had a continual problem with Bermuda grass weeds in my flower beds, in that front flower bed that I showed you. And usually I would like take a couple days each summer to spend the whole day pulling those weeds <laughs> out. And um, I skipped the adjectives I was going to put in front of them. And um, I have found a new workaround, not a new workaround, but it's new for me. My husband came home with a battery-powered weed eater that is very, very light. Therefore, I can use it without it hurting my back or anything. Mm -hmm. So, am I getting rid of the weeds? No. But I'm cutting them down so they're not as noticeable. And no one else wants to touch my flower bed because they don't know what I want and what I don't want. You know, so... That has been my solution this year. The yard looks pretty good and groomed and really just keeping that Bermuda grass down instead of letting it grow while I put off pulling it. Yeah, I have torpedo grass in rock beds and around palm trees and things like that. And my control goes in a two-gallon pump sprayer, and that works pretty well. Wow. But... The more diligent you are, the better it's going to work out. When I blow it off for a long time and those weeds all come up and my wife starts to yell at me because there's weeds in the rocks and she starts pulling them and gets really upset, 
then I have to get on the stick and get out there and start spending some time and effort on it. And sorry, phone's going off here. <laughs> and try to get things back under control. So it's just diligence. And it really comes down to what control you prefer. Some people pull it up. Other people use the, the vinegar and Epsom salts. And I really don't think that that works very well. Some people swear by it. Other people use chemical control, a combination of chemical control when they're dead, hitting them with a weed eater as low as I can, and then blowing it off to get the, the dead remnants out. Mm -hmm. That starts to reduce the volume of dead brown stuff there. And then just keeping on top of it, you can do it. It works well. Corey has a question here. I so would check. I'll let you answer this one. Check with your. Um, do you live in Hernando? I don't remember, Corey. I thought you lived in Pasco. Um, I think Pasco, just over the county line. Yeah, it's possible that our transfer stations that collect um, things that go to the main landfill, and there's one on Ossawa Boulevard. Spring Hill Drive, when it hits 19, if you go across, continuing going west, becomes Ossawa. And right there, a block um, from there is the West Hernando Transfer Station. Whether or not you're able to collect what they call fines, um, you know, from the mulch piles, I don't know. <laughs> Sometime you used to be able to, yes, by Walmart. You used to be able to, um, whether they're continuing that, I don't know, but look up, you know, West Hernando Transfer Station and um, give them a call and find out if you can get, you know, you want to dig like under their, mul their mulch piles, their chip, you know, that their chipper made. And that's when you get that, what they call fines, the partially decomposed. So give them a call and, and find out if you can get them there. We need to have Mr. Bruno on here as a guest one week. Well, now that you mentioned that, <laughs> if you look at my Facebook page, <laughs> you will see pinned to the top a program I did yesterday called Recycling Inside and Out, where Carmen Bruno and I had, I think, really good conversations. You do not have to be a Hernando County resident to um, appreciate the program. There's parts of it that are specific to us. Other parts, I think I learned a lot about how recycling happens in communities. There's more to it than you know you think. There's there's the economic uh, factor, mm -hmm. and that really drives a lot of it. And we busted some myths where you know, it's disheartening that I hear from sources that are supposed to be pro-environment sources saying recycling is, is not happening and it's all getting thrown in the landfill. That is absolutely not true. It's different the way it's happening. They, we used to collect all these recyclables and sell them to China and China has changed their desires to have all these recyclables, but they found other other foreign markets and they found domestic markets for these. It's changed a bit, but it is certainly still occurring. And what we talk about is recycling 
should be the last R <laughs> and we make it the first R of the reduce and reuse, certainly reduce and reuse should be a priority over recycling, but recycling is still happening. So please go and watch that on my Facebook page and it should be on Hernando County Government YouTube, I would say by early next week. So. Okay, here, let me go ahead and pull up your YouTube. Hold on, I got to search for it here. No, it's not on the YouTube yet. I talked to John this morning and he's got another project um, that was requested by the county administrator. So, you know, I assume he's going to do that one <laughs> before mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, here's Lily's playlist. And I'll go ahead and put that link in the chat here. And I guess I actually beat Teresa to it. Yeah, that's a lot of things there. If you go to, um, if you, where you are, if you um, click on the the logo for Hernando County, I think it'll show. Yeah, click down here, see there on that. And that will give you a friendlier URL. Then they can look for the. Um, but if you go to YouTube and, and just put in the search bar up at the top, Hernando County government, sure. it's the Hernando County government's YouTube channel. Yes, and then look for the Hernando County, Florida, Florida, friendly landscaping program playlist and how many does it say there 81 a whole bunch oh my goodness i feel like a whacker now <laughs> oh my gosh it's okay plenty of topics there <laughs> well i'm sorry what was that i said plenty of topics there absolutely you run out of videos to watch for a while uh-huh there's lots of fun topics too, and Bill's probably on half of them, you know, with me. So yeah, and I have a channel on there also. Um, you go check those out because the YouTube isn't as well. Um, you know, I have a lot more people active on Facebook than who go over to the YouTube, and YouTube is great for. You know you have someone, you know, your parents, somebody who like, I don't do the Facebook, but seems like everyone is fine to go on YouTube. They know how to bring it up on their TVs and everything. So yeah, send them to that playlist and, you know, they have questions. They should find some answers somewhere, you know, in one of those. One of those should um, interest them. I only, have, I only have 15 videos on my plate. The challenge for me is now to try to come up with, you know, something a little bit different <laughs> each time. So I come up with Turf Talk with Bernie. <laughs> so. Okay, looks like it's, oh my gosh, it's exactly that time. Yes. So. If anybody would like more information or to contact Lily about any of our programs or upcoming classes or recycling or whatever it might be, there's her email. 
and let me show my email also. Now, sure. if, you ever, if you ever have any questions for um, the extension office in Hernando County, there's the phone number. And if you call, Teresa should be, it's either going to be Teresa or Mary that answers the phone. Can almost guarantee it won't be me. It'll be one of them. <laughs> and they're more than happy to answer your questions and help you out and point you in the right direction. Yeah. Lee, thank you so much. You have a great weekend also. Mm -hmm. Cindy, as always, thank you for tuning in. Monique, thank you also. And oh, one more thing. Next next Wednesday, yep. um, the class I'm gonna have at 10 a.m. And they're always recorded, so if you can't make it, you can always watch it on Facebook or on YouTube. Will be native plant starter kit with drummer, drummer, native plant expert Rita Grant. So Rita's going to talk to us about native plants that are easy to find. That's key, and easy to grow. So join us 10 o'clock on Wednesday. It's going to be a really good one. Okay. I'm going to be back here next Thursday. Let me double check that. Yeah, I got nothing planned for next Thursday except for this. So I'll okay. be here. I'll be here as far as I know. Okay. I'm going to have, who, who should I try to find for a guest? For Why don't you always say you're going to find someone and you don't. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I think we need to try to get Whitney Elmore um, to talk about. She's real we didn't talk about it today. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't talk about it today. No, we didn't. S N A I L issue. <laughs> Still a Pasco um, issue, as far as we know. Next yeah. week, maybe we'll bring up the snails. There's a lot happening in the world of snails, and we'll just leave it at that. I'm still in the process of learning about it and putting together some materials. So next Thursday, let's plan on talking about snails, and I'll get somebody on here to talk about snails. Uh, I'll ask Whitney, but if Whitney's busy, I'll try to find somebody else. Maybe Lyle. Yeah. That would be cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that yeah. Be. yeah, he's the what is he? Head he, of the entomology department, something like no, that. He's the um entomology identification clinic. So when we have insects that we don't know what they are, we need them identified, and snails apparently also, <laughs> we send it all to him. And he does the definite identification on them. I think that would be a very interesting person to have on here yeah no I'll, I'll i'll reach out to lyle and see if he wants to be on okay next week oh very very interesting really really smart guy too that'd be very interesting so yeah that's mm -hmm. a good idea okay well hey everybody as always thank you so much for tuning in and hope you learned something today and be sure to come back next week because i'll be here and lily will be here and we may even have somebody else on here also. So, so until then, thanks everybody. Have a great week. Bye. Have a great week. Thank you.